Hey guys, it's me, Harry Swartout. This week, I have a special treat for you. Colin Fleming, a freelance writer for us at SI, Rolling Stone, The Washington Post, NPR, The Guardian, and a whole lot more, bared his soul and remembered the game that changed the game for him. The Easter Epic, a four-overtime NHL playoff thriller. We'll be back soon with our normal format, but enjoy as Colin Fleming takes you back to Holy Saturday 30 years ago. I grew up in a town called Mansfield. It was this hamlet of baseball games, hockey in the street with tons of kids your age, not many cars coming by, exploring the woods, baseball in backyards where you'd get to first base and there would be a black racer snake sunning itself on the back. It was very idyllic. My father took a promotion in Connecticut for his job, and we moved. I remember just what a struggle that was. You know, move, it's, you go along in life and you learn that really that's not the struggle you think it is. Other things happen, of course. We were returning to Mansfield for the first time since we moved that Easter weekend, and we were staying with Our former neighbors, right across the street from the house my parents built, and they were known as Bob and Dottie. And Bob was Big Bob because, of course, in the neighborhood there was a smaller Bob who became Little Bob. You know how these things work. And I didn't realize it at the time, but my dad and Bob were very close, and the game was kind of an excuse for them to catch up. How have you been? But I was locked in. I wanted to see this game. It was hard for me to be back in this place that I love, and it was a little break where I would just sort of be hermetically sealed, like I was almost on the ice to watch this game. It was the game between the Capitals and the Islanders, first round playoff series that became known as the Easter Epic. It lasted until I think it was 1:57 in the morning, and I was up until 1:57 in the morning on Easter morning. It's all symbolic and everything too. It felt strange, even at the time, as an 11-year-old, as I watched it. But the background was that the Caps were really not going anywhere. They had four Hall of Famers on that team, which you'd never know it because it seemed like the Capitals would get in every year and lose in the first or second round. Here's the uh, Washington Capitals, Jensen picks up a pass from Francis Getty. And the Islanders were past their dynasty days. They had a lot of dynasty players still, Brian Trottier. Here's Trottier going in, he's gone! It's like his last good statistical year, he had 87 points. Denny Potvin, but he was hurt, he didn't play in this game seven. They had Mike Bossy, and he played in some of the series, but wouldn't play in this final game. Now, my favorite player as a kid was Mike Bossy. Hands on to Bossy, a backhander, he scores! Right to Trotte, to Bossy, shoots, he scores! Mike Bossy has his 50th goal! The way he scored, I didn't think that anyone else could... Like if a machine had a god, like a robot god, it would have been bossy in the slot. 
And I just loved watching him. I was baffled by his quick release. And I wanted the Islanders to win so they could advance and I get to see Bossy play again. Now, I didn't know at the time that Bossy was done. You weren't going to see him again. He had back injuries. He only had the 38 goals that year, only for him. And he was going to have to retire. Just who's going to leave an opening and who's going to throw a knockout punch? Dedek shot it in from center ice, and the Caps start out with it. Francis the Caps had been up 3-1 to one in the series, and no one at the time had come back in a series when they trailed by that much since the 1975 Islanders, who had been behind 3 nothing and came all the way back. And the Caps carried the play pretty intensely for a lot of it. The game went into overtime, and... You have to realize, overtime at the time was a little bit different than what we see now, where teams go into a shell, where there are layers, where it's like, let's cycle the puck endlessly in this corner and maybe get a point shot. This was free form, up and down the ice, manic hockey offense with defensive tackling and slashing and tripping. And mugging. And I went back and I watched this game again recently because it's something I do from time to time. And a couple observations. Just the things, though, that you can do or you could have done in the 1980s, you would get suspended for five games on every shift. But they're out against Randy Wood. Look out. Like if you're a defenseman and a forward is turning you around by busting it down the wing on the outside, you want to turn around and tackle him? Go for it, bro. That's cool. Pops the puck off, and Randy Wood not cooled down and able to get to the puck in time to clear it. See someone, and they've irked you? Ah, give him a mighty slash with your titan stick. That's what it's for. Billy Smith took a swing at him with a stick. There's going to be an Islander penalty on the play. It's like borderline criminal, the stuff these guys do to each other. And it's thrilling, but it shouldn't last more than three minutes. Like, someone should be scoring quickly. Unless the goalies, who do not play a butterfly-style technique, meaning when they make a save on that slap shot that's unscreened from the blue line, they have to dive. They're doing these split-glove theatrics. And what a stop here. He got his left hand up, point-blank range, Miko Makala. Nothing is, let me just go down into my butterfly and have you hit me in the chest. Oh, thank you. There are no saves like that. Every save is... Shakespearean theater in like one movement. Oh, 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 oh. Did you see that save? Another save by Rudy. Thrilling. Now, it's a horrible way to play goal, but very exciting. My dad and Big Bob, they passed out, I think it was around the start of the third overtime which is probably why I got to stay up. And Pat LaFontaine ended up winning it for the Islanders. And I can still remember the sound because, like, at the time, the bottoms of the nets, they weren't that padded. So if you scored on a slap shot, which is what LaFontaine did, a turnaround slap shot from near the blue line, there was, like, this clanking sound. Comes to the line. LaFontaine shot. He scores! And... That clank for those caps 
must have dropped their collective heart right down into their stomach. And it was over. And it was Easter. And I had learned some things that were sort of like lost on me a little bit at the time, but I knew that was more than a hockey game. In one way, the Islanders and the Capitals both must have known they had no chance to win the Stanley Cup. There was no future for these guys. There was no past for these guys. You can think of it like a checkerboard. And there are many squares. And this square is to the left of this square, and that was some experience you had, and this square is in front of that other one, and that's what you think you're trying to move towards. But sometimes in life, and I was to learn this later, my father, who was catching up with Big Bob, he died when I was 25. And my sister, who was catching up with Dottie, she died when she was 33. And I had later my own life fall apart. And I would flash back to the Easter epic because I wanted to have a future. And it seemed, it seems, unfathomable to me that I could have the future I wanted. And the future that I might ever had have was dependent on me only having a present, as if nothing else could ever exist. Not the checkerboard, but just the one panel of the board. And as I watched this game, and as I flash back to it in my memory, and have at times as a sort of like strand of inspiration, I realized this was the hockey version of that, of nothing but nowness. Probably my favorite Easter memory, all because of a hockey game that was more than a hockey game. The Islanders pour off the bench, and the Capitals stand there, exhausted, with their heads hanging low, but they gotta keep their heads up. We're putting a show up like this, going out in the seventh game. An extra special thanks this week to Colin Fleming, whose hockey writing you can find all the time on SI.com. If you like our podcast, remember to leave a rating and a review on iTunes. Or even better, tell a friend. Help people find us, and then you can feel really cool when they fall in love with the show. And make sure to check out SI's narrative miniseries, Draft Season. We follow six former college football players as they prepare for the NFL Draft. We're going to end the show with a teaser for it. Check it out. The road to the NFL Draft has the same landmarks every year, but no two prospects take the exact same path to draft night. A little bit more of a songwriter than a singer. There's people who eat themselves out of the NFL, and that will not be me. I'm Ryan Slayer to you today because I'm from England and I moved here two years ago. I want to make history, man. I'm Eric Single, and over the next month, Sports Illustrated will set the stage for the 2017 NFL Draft with a podcast that takes you inside the heads of some of this year's most fascinating prospects. Each pick is a player. Each player has a story. Subscribe to Draft Season today, wherever podcasts are available.